Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. Well, if you got a Bible, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to continue our series this weekend entitled the unusual life, and we've been walking through what it is that this abundant life Jesus died to give us looks like. And it, it's not just this fun, uh, easy, awesome thing. It, it, the abundant life is a responsibility. It is a blessing, but it is a responsibility. And when you hear today's message, I think you're gonna, you're gonna sense the responsibility uh, because this is not a sip a drink with an umbrella on a beach type message. And I'm going to do my best uh, to use the sweetest voice I have the entire message because I have walked through this message multiple times and I, I catch myself making this sound. Oh, oh, uh. it, it's, it's strong. There's a lot of scripture, um, but the responsibility we've been, get, been given as followers of Jesus Christ is serious. And I know we, we believe that, but I think sometimes it's just good to be reminded of that. So the title of today's message is Calling All Saints. Calling All Saints. We're gonna talk about the calling of every saint. Let's read together starting in Ephesians chapter four, verse one. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge, this word in the Greek literally means beg, I beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, this is written to believers. I beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That is a theologically loaded run of six verses right there. Verse seven, but grace, a grace, we're not talking about the grace Jesus extends to us, a grace was given to each one of us as believers according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he, speaking of Jesus, ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? That he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. Here's verse 10, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now we jump into verse 11 where it really is a double down moment. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, this is speaking of Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. This message is really going to look at Ephesians chapter four, verse 12. 
these few words that I just read. And the first 11 verses of this chapter really set it up. And verse 1 is so important to what we're talking about. I beg you to live a life worthy of the calling you've been called to. Now, what is this calling? Verse 12 helps us understand what the calling of every believer is. Hopefully you got notes. There's a lot of one-liners in your notes and then some extras that you can throw in there. Here's point number one, the first thing we've got to talk about that Ephesians chapter four, verse 12 says, every saint must be equipped. Every saint must be equipped. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints. Now, let's look at these, uh, two of these words in Ephesians 4, verse 12. We're gonna look at the word equip and saints, but we're gonna start with the word saints because I think uh, some of us may have some confusion as it relates to this word. Some of us may have come from uh, different denominations or uh, some of us may have even come from a Catholic background. And so when we hear the word saint, we, we think of something different than what we're reading about in scripture. So let's ask and answer the question. Who are the saints? Who are the saints? Well, one of my favorite things about Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, is it doesn't say that the pastors of this church were given to equip the stars. It says they were given to equip the saints. Who are the saints? The easiest way to say it is they're not the stars, they're the sons and daughters of God most high. Ephesians chapter one, verse one, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus. This is how Ephesians, the, the letter to the church in Ephesus, this is how it begins. Listen to what Paul says. An apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from our God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ. Who are the saints? The sons and daughters of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Biblically speaking, a saint is not someone who has been canonized. A saint is any person who has called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's, let's break this down a little bit because I think there's a little bit of misunderstanding when, when we think about uh, equipping and the ministry, the work of the ministry and the building up of the church. Because a lot of, of believers look at pastors and think we are the players on the field in the game. This is inaccurate, okay? So let's just say it's a football uh, field and a football game. It's, it's easy for believers to sit in the stands in their minds, watch the game up here, and think those are the players. Well, let me help you understand something. Scripture helps us understand, yes, yes, I am a player, but not because I'm a pastor because I'm a believer, okay? Here's the best way to understand and the best way to see the pastoral staff of any church, okay? And, and this comes down to the word katartismos. 
all right? And it's in your notes. And this word that is linked to equip and means equip, if you study it deeper, means literally this. It suggests, suggests preparation, training, and discipline necessary to do work. Okay, let's break this down. Preparation. Here's the best way to see me as a pastor, okay? Because if you look at this word, katartismos, preparation, training, and discipline, okay? Let's just pick it apart. Preparation. The best way to see me as a pastor is I am like a water boy on the sideline helping the best players on the field win the game. That's what I'm doing right now. I am being a water boy. Don't think I'm the quarterback of this team. I'm not. If you've seen me throw, you'd know immediately. When I was in college, I sat on the bench and I was the best Gatorade giver on the planet. I could hand you some Gatorade better than anybody else. I'm a water boy. See, the problem, if you look in my direction and think I'm the quarterback, or only people who stand on a stage are the players, you'll never enter the game God created you to dominate. Okay, let's get to the next one. Training. Katartismos suggests preparation, so I'm a water boy. I'm preparing the players to get ready to play. Training, okay? We're also coaches. The pastoral staff, we're like coaches, okay? I'm not the head coach, okay? I am not the head coach. Jesus is, all right? Jesus is. I'm not the head coach, but I am a coach from time to time, okay? And a coach is given the task of training the players to win the game, right? Okay, then here's the third role. Discipline necessary to do the work. This is a player. So the best way to see me as a pastor and any other minister on staff in full-time vocational ministry is to see them like a water boy or water girl, to see them like a coach who's also a player, a player coach. We all play as believers. But because we've been called into this vocation from time to time, we're called to coach. But more than anything, pastors are at their best when they're just handing out Gatorade spiritually to the players on the field. This is what we're called to do. Now, Jesus makes a really strong statement in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, and this is going to blow some of you away. This is incredible to me as a pastor. Jesus said to his disciples, listen, boys, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Okay. I used to get really frustrated. I'm just being totally transparent right now. I used to get really frustrated in kind of the early years that our church seemed to be full of believers with very few lost people. And I, I would give a salvation call at the end of a message and no one raised their hands and I'd get in my car afterwards and I'd, I'd just just be a little frustrated with the Lord. It wasn't that I ever resented believers. Of course not. I am a believer. But I just, I was bothered. And, and part of the reason was I just wasn't seeing things the right way. But then the Lord helped me understand something. One of the greatest ways to be a part of a large harvest of souls is to raise up an army of equipped saints. 
when that revelation dawned on me, it changed the way I saw the body of Christ. See, here's another way to say that. We have more than enough workers in our church. I actually don't need to pray to the God of the harvest to send more workers. You know what I need to do? I need to do better at equipping the workers he has sent. That's what I need to do. I need to do a better job. And one of the biggest ways we equip here is through the weekend message. That's one of the biggest ways. And, and I'll just help you understand how, because we haven't even gotten to the hard part of this message, okay? This first part is kind of hard on me. Point two and point three is hard on all of us, all right? But to kind of help you understand how I see sermons and messages, uh, to me, there are three types of preachers, okay? There's the personal chef, there's the producer, and there's the personal trainer. I'll kind of describe these. The, the personal chef uh, has a tendency to cook up what the audience loves to hear. Okay, I don't ever want to be in that situation because then I'm serving man and not God. Okay, a producer has a tendency as a preacher to drum up incredible emotional stories and get people emotionally stirred up, which remember we talked about that last, last week, Jesus isn't all about emotional stirring. A producer is really about trying to weekly, on a weekly basis, create a movie so good that the people will wanna come back next week to watch the next movie. But then there's the personal trainer. And the personal trainer has really one motivation and that's for the hearer to get stronger. Because the stronger we get as a church, the more powerful we are against all of God's enemies. I'm not a personal chef. I'm, I've never been good at telling people what they wanna hear. It's so disingenuous. Like you can watch me do it and it's so fake. I'm not a good storyteller. I'm not funny. Like, I am not a movie producer. No one would come back week to week just to see what the next movie's gonna be if I were the one producing the movie. I'm a personal trainer. That's my responsibility. And I take very seriously the call God has given me to prepare the saints to play daily. The one-liner in your notes is a little incomplete. It's producers entertain, pastors equip. If you're taking notes, I want you to write at the beginning of that. Personal chefs appease. Producers entertain. Pastors equip. Every minute I spend entertaining you or trying to entertain you is an opportunity I lose to equip you. Now, it doesn't mean I'm gonna to try to be boring and not tell stories and things like that. All of that is in service of what God is trying to say through the word he's given me. But what I am saying is there are gonna be times where you hear a message that God has asked to be delivered here and you're gonna go, oh, oh, oh. Here's the best way to describe it. It just means it's a healthy dose of spiritual broccoli 
not ice cream. That's what it means. If you always love what the person on this stage is saying, it's probably because they're appealing too much to your flesh. I kind of want you to be mad at me every once in a while. I'm serious. Just read the Gospels. Just read the Gospels. Man, Jesus riled some religious people up all the time. It's okay if you get mad at me every once in a while. I'm not trying to pick a fight with anybody. But I, I do want to equip you because I believe so strongly in the gifts the Holy Spirit has given you to dominate on behalf of God's kingdom in your lifetime. One of the primary responsibilities of our church staff and for our pastors is to equip the saints. But here's the big question, for what? For what? That leads us to point number two. According to, to Ephesians chapter four, verse 12, to do the work of the ministry. Every believer is called to do the work of the ministry. Well, Preston, I have an incredible job, bro. Like, I have an amazing job. I am not quitting my job to go into ministry. Okay, you don't have to quit your job to go into ministry. You simply need to realize God designed your job to be ministry. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, whether you know this or not, you are in full-time ministry. Maybe not vocational ministry like me, but full-time ministry. Listen, if the elders of Gateway Church saw fit to fire me today and no other church in the world would hire me, I've said this before, you're not going to stop me from ministering. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm in full-time ministry. And if I have to go to Walmart, pass out grocery carts at the front door and ring people's bell, so be it. If I have to wander up and down the aisles of the grocery store and ring people's bell prophetically, so be it. I'm in full-time ministry. So are you, because we're followers of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 6, if you're in Ephesians 4, you can just flip over a page or two. I'm going to read it out of the message. It says this. This is speaking to servants in a work environment, Okay. Now, your, scripture, your, your translation may use the word slaves because contextually in that time, that's what we're talking about, but you'll see this principle applies to anyone in a work environment. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 says this, Servants, respectfully obey your earthly masters, but always with an eye to obeying the real master, Christ. So when you're at work and you're working for your boss, Scripture says clearly, hey, it's good, work for your boss, but never forget, you are serving your real boss, Jesus Christ. Don't just do what you have to do to get by, but work heartily. That'll preach right there. One of the best witnesses you have at work is being a good worker. Why would anyone listen to you if they're working harder and better than you. One of the best witnesses you have. Be a good worker. Don't just do what you have to do to get by, but work heartily as Christ's servants doing what God wants you to do. 
And work with a smile on your face. That's a good, that's a good piece of advice right there. Work with a smile on your face. Don't be Eeyore. Well, what's going on today? I'd rather be at home. That's great, but you'd also like to get paid, so smile. Come to work and smile. Always keeping in mind with that smile on your face that no matter who happens to be giving the orders, you're really serving God. We are really serving God as employees. Good work will get you good pay from the capital M master regardless of whether you are a slave or free. Here's the really big question. What is the, quote, work of the ministry that each believer has been tasked with? Well, here's the most simple way I can say it. It's not in your notes, but if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. If you're not taking notes, I want you to start right here, okay? What is the work of the ministry? It's threefold. Bring glory to God in all we do. Part one, bring glory to God in all we do. Sharing the love of Christ with all we meet. Step two, sharing the love of Christ with all we meet. Here's the third part, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit everywhere we go. This is the most simple and concise way to describe the ministry every believer in Jesus is tasked with. Here's what you need to understand. Minister is not a title. Christian is your title. Ministry is your calling. And we as a church, we need to do a better job of communicating this, especially to lost people and and new converts. Here's a way to say it. It's in your notes. Write it down. New converts don't just become members of a church. They become ministers of a kingdom. I think if I did a better job explaining this, more people might get saved. I know it's the Father that draws all men to himself, but I think sometimes I might get in the way. If if I more effectively communicated to people, listen, when you get saved, you don't just get out of hell. The God of the universe is enlisting equipping and empowering human beings to work on his behalf. And once we become believers in Jesus, we are brought in, not just to his family, but to his workforce. We're part of growing the family business as believers in Jesus Christ. This is awesome. Here's an even better part. God doesn't expect us to do this empty-handed. Let me show you in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read you a couple of verses. God does not expect us to do the work of the ministry empty-handed. He gives us gifts to help us do the work. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. A spiritual gift is given to each of us. Watch this next part. So we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. 
He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the spirit of God or from another lowercase s spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. Watch verse 11. It is the one and only spirit who distributes or gives out all of these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should give. Remember, this is to believers. Okay, the Holy Spirit gives us gifts. Have you ever showed up to a party with a gift? And I don't mean like a birthday party where you're supposed to bring a gift. Have you ever gone over to a friend's house for a meal and you brought a gift? How do they respond when they see you have a gift and they weren't expecting to get one from you? They become like your best friend all over again. Hey, so good to see you. What, what you got there? Oh, I just brought you a gift. Oh, I just set it down. No, go ahead. And, okay. <laughs> Why? Because everybody loves to get a gift, right? Okay. Let's ask and answer three really important questions as it relates to the gifts the Holy Spirit gives to us as believers. Here's the first question. How do you know God intended these gifts to be used outside the church? Because remember, Ephesians 4 verse 12 really talks about the ministry, the work of the ministry, which is outside of the church, and then says, but also to build up the church. Okay, how do you know God intended these gifts to be used outside the church? Here's one of my favorite one-liners of this message. Church is only 80 out of 10,080 minutes of your week. That's just simple math right there. Oh, Preston, I, I, I really, when I come to church, I love to use my gifts, but you know, it's a little bit different out there. Okay, God being the best steward that ever has been or ever will be, do you think we could call him a good steward if he gave a gift to his children and said, hey, here's the only stipulation. You're only allowed to use this gift 80 out of every 10,080 minutes. You can't convince me that spiritual gifts were only meant to be used in the house of the Lord. Spiritual gifts are often best used outside the four walls of the church. They make really good flashlights in dark places, I'm just telling you. That brings us to the next question. In what rooms? Because I know where the mind starts to go when you start thinking about using your gifts out there. You're like, okay, but where? Like, I, I can't in the C-suite, you know, because that, that's like important people. So in what rooms is it appropriate to use my spiritual gift? Here's a simple answer. Any room where you find an other. That's the Bible. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, I'll read it to you again. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other, every other. In what rooms is it appropriate to use my spiritual gift? Any room where you find an other. Okay, I do this all the time and, and with lost people and they don't even know I'm using a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's part of the, the way it can work best in a really dark place. I don't walk into a dark room and go, Dearly beloved, I have a word from the Lord. According to scripture, this is called a prophetic word or a word of prophecy. All who have ears, hear. I don't do that. But you know what I do a lot? When I have lunch or coffee with somebody, 
I'll hear God say something, and I simply repeat it, and their bell gets rung. Incidentally, I know this is kind of a Texas thing and, and just kind of a little boy me thing, but I really think there's a sound that is made in heaven when we give a spiritual gift the Holy Spirit gave us to someone else, and it's the sound of a ringing bell. Their bell gets rung. Seen it thousands of times with so many different believers. Here's a real big question. How do I find my spiritual gifts? How do I find my spiritual gifts? Here's a good answer. Gifts are discovered in service, not by testing. I'll just take the spiritual gifts test. That's great. It's great, not speaking against that. A spiritual gift test can make you aware of some possibilities of gifts you might have, but only serving teaches you the gift you've actually got. I mean, have you ever taken a personality test and at the end of the personality test, you're like, you are a liar. That is not me. All the time, right? Okay. A spiritual gift test is not the best way. It's a way to become aware. But gifts are really best discovered in service, not in testing. That brings us to point number three. Every saint must be equipped to do the work of the ministry and build up the church. Some of you are thinking, whoa, 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 Preston, this is theologically inaccurate because I specifically remember Jesus saying that he builds up his church. You're 100% right. I'll read it to you just in case you forgot where it's found. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's an awesome passage of scripture right there. Jesus will build his church. Don't get focused on the Peter part. Focus on the fact Jesus says, I will build my church. But focus even more on the fact that when Jesus builds his church, the gates of hell cannot, not just will not, cannot prevail against it. Jesus builds his church. But let me read Ephesians 4 verse 12 again. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Jesus builds his church. Believers are called to build it up, to strengthen it, to make it more beautiful, to make it better. That's our calling as believers. Now, this, this next illustration is not easy. It's not for the faint of heart, okay? But what if I told you there was a, a dad who was an incredibly gifted man? I mean, he just had awesome gifts. And in his workplace, he always used those gifts. I mean, he just used them all the time. People loved him because of the gifts that he frequently walked in. But this dad rarely ever went home to see his family and hardly ever used those same gifts to bless his family. What would you call a dad like that? I know this is tough. Some of us would use the phrase 
deadbeat. That's a deadbeat dad. Any dad who takes better care of everybody else outside than he does inside his home and for his family, that's a deadbeat. Just please don't throw anything at me when I say this. But one of my concerns about the church in this day and time is we have a few too many deadbeats who love to use all their gifts outside the church, but rarely ever use those same gifts in his church. First Peter chapter four, verse 10, God has given each of you as believers, this is who this is speaking to, a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use these gifts well to serve one another, to serve other believers is the context here. Believers are stewards. God has entrusted these gifts to us that we might use them in his house to build up his house. I just met with a business guy in our church yesterday. This is just one example of things that happen all of the time. We have so many gifted people in our church. And, and he just reached out and, and we met yesterday and uh, he's telling me a story and he's written several books on customer service and customer success. And you know, some people will sit down with me and be like, hey, I wrote a book. I'm like, hey, that's great. Uh, so has my sixth grader. Uh, that, that doesn't mean anything to me if God didn't give it to you to write. Well, this guy starts talking and he's not throwing his weight around. He's not trying to impress me. You just see this burden coming out of this guy. And I, when, when I start thinking about, I, I need to get my phone and start writing some of this stuff down because this is nasty, okay? It's because he's operating in a gift he has. This guy is a gift of hospitality. So I'd be a fool to just go, oh, that's great, I'm glad you're like that. I started asking questions about our church. Hey, help me, help us. You, you've been here for a little while now. What do you see? How can we get better? Listen, I am obsessed with trying to make this house of God called Gateway Church in Scottsdale in Tempe, Arizona, the best it can possibly be. And here's why, not because I'm competing with some other house of God, but because it is the God over this house who deserves the best of all of our effort. This guy rang my bell yesterday, why? Because God gave him a gift. So I've got good news and I got bad news. Here's the good news. We have so many amazing gifts in our church. I mean, so many. It's incredible news. The bad news, stats say about 30% of those gifts are being used in our church. That's a stat of ours and it makes me sick to my stomach. That's not your fault, I'm not blaming you, I'm blaming me. I have to do better. Our God deserves better. And I'll do whatever I have to do. You know, most churches around the country would say 50%. That's what we're hoping for. It's 50% of the people who call our church home serve actively using the gifts the Holy Spirit's given them. Can, can I just point something out? 
if your child in school was saying that, that that was their goal for their next test? Would you attaboy them? Way to go, son. I'm so proud of you. You've set your goal on getting an F. (laughs) You wouldn't, and neither would I. And there are days where I'm tempted in the flesh to just celebrate a failing grade because it's better than so-and-so. But when I get alone in God's presence, I feel the weight of this responsibility, Preston. It's not enough. See, I don't need more people to come to church here. I'll just be truthful with you. I'm not ready. We're not ready for more people to come to church here. I've got a really large task ahead of me. And that's not a passing grade. That's the closest thing to a perfect score I can bring to God. Where 100% of his children who call this church their home, the same way God calls it his home, that they are using the incredible gifts the Holy Spirit has given them to use. This is kind of a strong one-liner, so I'll just close my eyes as I say it. Spectating is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. I really feel like I want to put my arm around you and say I'm sorry. But you just got to know, I mean, if I were trying to make friends, I wouldn't be saying this. I'm trying to do my part. Spectating is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't call us to be spectators. He called us to be the body of Christ and to build up the body of Christ. That's for the underusers, those of us who kind of underuse the gifts, but let me speak to the overusers a little bit. The, the kind of less than 10% who are grateful nobody else likes to use their gifts because it means they get way more opportunities to use their gifts. And we've kind of seen these people, but so let me just address this. God gives us spiritual gifts for serving, not for self-esteem. If I have to tell people what my spiritual gift is constantly, it's probably because I use it too infrequently. I have the gift of prophecy. Hey, don't tell me. Show me. Overdoers, I like to call them. They overdo it just a little bit. Overemphasize privilege and underemphasize responsibility. Spiritual gifts are not fundamentally a privilege, but a responsibility, a call to be faithful to what God has bestowed. Now, here's the biggest reason why most believers say, I just can't serve in my church in this season of life. And I get it, there are different seasons. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty I'm really talking to the kind of person who's been saying I can't serve in this season for like the last seven straight seasons. But here's here's what they say. I just don't have the bandwidth to serve in the local church. Let me give you this one-liner and then read you one more verse and we'll be done. Everything expended in using a spiritual gift 
will be replenished and increased by the giver of the gift. I didn't make this up. I'm going to show it to you in scripture. Jesus says it with his own mouth. Everything expended in using a spiritual gift, no matter how tired or how little bandwidth you think you have, everything expended in using a spiritual gift will be replenished and increased by the giver of the gift. Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says, give, give, and you will receive. Now watch his response to every giving on your part of a gift he gives you to give. Your gift will return to you in full. Press down, shaken together to make room for even more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. I think it's a lie the enemy whispers in our ears. You don't have enough bandwidth to serve. You'll crack. You can hardly keep it all together as it is. I think it's because the devil knows the Bible. And he knows if you start giving out this gift or these gifts the Holy Spirit has given you to build God's kingdom, the devil knows. Jesus has promised. He's not just going to give you in kind or equal to what you gave. He's going to take that basket that contained your gift and he's going to push down on it, make more room. He's going to shake it so it even sifts down even lower, push it down a little bit more and fill it up to overflowing and then hand it back to you. And that includes your energy. Listen, I felt like God gave me a word for our church. And I, I didn't expect it. I didn't see it coming. It, it, it's not one of those words that's been like my favorite thing to ever hear him say. It's one of those responsibility words. I was reading through the story of Elijah. And Israel had been in a drought. There had been no rain. In part because Elijah comes on the scene and says, I promise by the one true God, there will not be rain until I say so. So there's no rain until one day. Elijah and his servant go to the top of this hill. And I just see the picture of Elijah telling this little boy, hey, go look and see if it's raining in the distance. And this little boy goes out and he comes back and he tells Elijah, it's not raining. Elijah says, go back out. Second time the boy goes. comes back, it's not raining, a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time, a sixth time. And the seventh time, Elijah sends him out. And the servant comes back and he says, I saw a cloud, a cloud, the size of a man's hand. And Elijah says, quick, quick, go tell the king. It's about to rain. 
rain is coming. Elijah had the guts to stand before God and all the people and say, there's one little cloud off in the distance. And I can't see rain and you can't feel rain yet, but I'm telling you, rain is coming. I've spent seven years nearly at the top of this mountain. And each year, I keep expecting rain. And I sense the Lord say, a little over a week ago, Preston, go home. Take your family to your favorite restaurant. You go celebrate because rain is coming. And I said, go celebrate. You know, I'm horrible at that. There's nothing to celebrate. It hasn't happened yet. And I felt the Lord just sweetly address my wrongness and say, your whole life, son, you've waited to celebrate until you saw me do it this time. You're going to celebrate because you heard me say it. <laughs> Listen to me. That was just the first half. And he ties the rain. And he goes all the way back to Noah and the ark. He said, Preston, You've never once asked me why it hasn't rained yet. I said, okay, why hasn't it rained? And sweetly and gently not being mad at me because I've done a bad job or anyone's dropped the ball, the sense of the God of the universe say, it's because the boat isn't quite ready to float. Son, your job is to get all hands on deck. Get this boat ready to float. I'm either one of the craziest people who has ever lived. Or I'm just some silly little boy who knows deep down in his heart that in the valley where so many people said, God cannot, falls asleep every night saying, God will, God will, God will. He's called us. We have a calling, which means we have a job to do. I'm not calling all saints. The God of the universe is. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.